Hi there and welcome to Vroom, your weekly motorsport fix with me, Michael Hill. Well, hello, Happy New Year and welcome back to the Vroom podcast. We're very excited for the 2022 season to get underway. In fact, testing gets underway officially in a couple of weeks' time for MotoGP, BSB, Moto America and, of course, World Superbike as well as all of the other national championships in the world on two and four wheels. We have to wait a little bit longer for the Formula 3, Formula 2 and Formula 1 championships to get underway, but it won't be long before engines are racing for the 2022 season. We've got an action-packed show in this particular episode. We'll be talking to Ed Best, a former grass track champion who progressed through the ranks of the Aprilia Super Team Championship in the UK before moving into the Ducati Tri-Options Championship. And he'll be revealing what he is doing in 2022. And then to close out the show a little bit later on, we'll be talking to our first ever performance coach in motorcycle road racing, American Ethan Chaplock, who has worked with some pretty amazing riders over the years and he'll be telling us a little bit more about his role and uh, who he hopes to be working with in 2022. Before we do introduce our first guest though uh, I do want to just uh, on behalf of the Vroom podcast and I'm sure that all of our listeners uh, who are listening uh, do want to get involved this year we are going to be going back to our fortnightly shows if you want to get in touch with us you can do so send us a message uh, via Twitter or Instagram at mhillofficial. And if you've got any riders that you'd like us to talk to, please let us know. We'll be speaking to uh, Tim and Tom Neve in the coming weeks. We'll be speaking to Ben Curry, who uh, moves from the British Supersport Championship into World Supersport. We'll also be speaking to Xavi Vierke, Sebastian Prio, the uh, son of the multiple World Touring Car Champion and now a champion on four wheels in his own right. We'll also be speaking to top rack Raz Gatliog, as we promised you before the Christmas break, the newly crowned World Superbike Champion will be joining us at some point in the coming weeks and a whole host of other stars as well. We also should mention uh, that we hope to be getting a, an interview with Danilo Petrucci in the coming weeks. And I'm sure all of us uh, listening and around the world will agree what a phenomenal debut in the Dakar Rally for Danilo Petrucci, the first ever MotoGP rider to win a stage of the Dakar and uh, he will be racing in Moto America in 2022. In our next episode, we will also be uh, bringing you a rundown of all of the riders uh, entered on the provisional entry lists for Moto3, Moto2, MotoGP, World Supersport 300, World Supersport, and World Superbike as well. But for now, that's it. Get ready, sit back, uh, sit back and relax, because coming up next, it's time for our first guest of this particular show. Our first guest this week on the Vroom podcast is a rider that started out on grass track, a route that is usually taken by riders over the pond in the US, but uh, not for this young man. Ed Best is joining us now. Ed, thanks for being on the show, mate. Yeah, you're very welcome. 
obviously it's been a while since we last caught up. In fact, I think the last time I saw you in person would have been, well, actually, tell a lie, it would have been last year at Donington Park. You were riding in the Ducati Tri-Options uh, tri Championship. And then prior to that, two or three years ago, uh, I think we did bump into each other at Thruxton when you were in Motorstar. So a uh, bit of a bit of a difference, Motorstar to, uh, to Ducati. We've got a lot to talk about. Um, let's start sort of with, with how we ended last year, front running in the Ducati Tri-Options uh, Championship. Great series, and uh, obviously now you're a little bit bigger than uh, than you were when you were riding the Motorstar, so uh, sort of the ideal build, really, for a, for a Ducati. Yeah, it was good fun, to be fair. The uh, Ducatis are definitely uh, a lot heavier than the Matter 3 bikes. I thought, it's a lot heavier. I remember when I first jumped on it, I thought, I, well, I'm not sure I can move this thing, but yeah, it was good fun. I mean, I really enjoyed the championship. It's a, it's a not lovely series to be in, and sort of there's some big names there, and some young, fast lads as well, so it's... Uh, yeah, it's good to be fair. It's, uh, I really enjoyed it. We had a bit of an up and down season, to be honest. I had a, a couple of crashes and then sort of we had an engine go and it was a sourcing engine from Italy with the, with everything going on at the moment. Obviously, it was pretty hard, so we had to sort of, it sort of cut our season short, unfortunately. But, you know, this, this racing, if it does happen, it's, uh, but overall, it's really good. You know, the team was able to set the bike up absolutely brilliantly. It was a, a joy to ride and to other, once to some for the, the they're a, little, they're a bit tricky to ride in some ways, you know, sort of the gearbox is a bit finicky, but sort of once I uh, got my head around it, it took a little bit too long. But, uh, yeah, once I got my head around it, it was good fun. Obviously, we've got a lot of viewers, listeners rather, not viewers, uh, that, that listen from the other side of the world. They won't maybe be aware of what the Ducati Tri-Options Options Championship actually is. So just explain to them in simplistic terms, what is the series? Obviously, it runs alongside British Superbikes uh, as a support category, basically. Yeah, so it's a support category, but it's only on, uh, so it's a one-make series, basically. So it's uh, everyone's on the uh, Ducati uh, V2. Um, they were allowing the, the older bike in there, but uh, at the front, it was just the V2s. And yeah, everyone on the same machinery. It was really stock. You're only allowed a certain amount of tyres per round. You're only allowed to have certain, to do very little. You're not allowed to do anything to the engine, a little bit with the suspension, and it sort of led to really close racing, so yeah. And I guess there you, you sort of touched on the next point, affordability. We know how expensive it is to race at the top uh, of racing, whether it be in a world championship or in, in arguably the best domestic championship in the world in BSB. I guess really, as you realised that you were getting too big for the Motorstar, uh, and obviously power to weight ratio, that starts to play a big, big, big factor. If you don't have the 100 grams, the 120 grams to go racing in super sport or super yeah. stock, it is a lifeline for, for young riders like yourself. I mean, you're still only 20, 21 years old. You're a young, still a young lad with a massive career. It gives you a lifeline to still stay under the radar, doesn't it? People can still see you racing and know who you are alongside British Superbike. Yeah, so as Motorstar sort of came to an end, for, for me anyway, it sort of, we sort of were looking elsewhere. And uh, we were lucky with, we had a team sponsor who said, uh, we want you to get your trial options. And sort of me and uh, my team at the time, Elliot Pinson, jumped on for yeah, let's do it. It's a different option to most people tend to go down the stock 600 route. We thought, let's get some experience on a bigger bike with Ducatis, and it just seemed to be the best option at the time. And uh, yeah, I was really happy to take it, so take it, go for it. And uh, yeah, we sort of gelled with the bikes really quickly, and sort of everything, sort of the team sort of learned how to set the bike up really quick. And we all sort of everything sort of fell into place, and sort of bike around one wheel competitive. So it was a uh, it worked really well in the end. 
No, it was good. And obviously, as I said, we caught up at Donington. And again, as you said, with the pandemic, it was a bit of a strange situation. Normally, we could mix around and we can catch up with old friends and you guys would be able to come through the paddock at World Superbikes. But there were various restrictions in place. You've obviously gelled with the Ducati. Is the plan to stay with that championship in, in 2022 before we kind of turn the clock back and do this in a revolve reversal? Yeah, um, I don't think so. We're planning to do stock six on a Yamaha R6 next year. That's the plan anyway. We Fantastic. Finally, after 39 episodes, we've got an exclusive. Yes. We've got an exclusive, ladies and gents. I told you, just subscribe for free and listen to me waffling on for hours at a time and we will get an exclusive. It's only taken us 19 months, but uh, Ed Pest has finally given us an exclusive. Good stuff. But that, that's great. I mean, that is, again, as you said, another path that you can that you can take. It's not as expensive as, as Supersport. In fact, I think BSB is probably one of the only championships in the world where you can still ride a super stock bike. I know you can in Spain, but it's super expensive. Yeah, probably is, actually. Uh, yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's not cheap, but uh, it's definitely cheap in super sport. It's sort of, the, sort of, I don't even know how much a super sport ride is these days, but it's, uh, it's definitely more than I can afford at the moment. So, it's uh, yeah, it's a very, I say affordable, you know, sort of. Yeah. Definitely can't race without sponsors, etc. But you know, it's a, it's definitely a good option to go down and yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting up on it. We uh, we had a couple of rounds at the end of last year on one, just sort of as you couldn't get an entry with the Ducati, etc. So the only option I had was to borrow a bike and sort of have a go on one, which uh, um didn't end too well, you know, just crashed my brains out on it so far. So uh, it's gone started it right, but uh, yeah. And it could only get better, right? Couldn't, couldn't get a lot worse. Took out took out about five people at Silverstone, so it, uh, Wow. Yeah, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't too popular there, but uh, yeah, I think uh, we're going to have a good test test season and get everything right. And uh, now I've got a good team around me, so we should uh, come first round. Uh, I think we'll be uh, there or thereabouts, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. It'll be good to uh, to see you at the sharp end. Now, obviously, as we said in the introduction, uh, you've come into the sport in a, an un- I wouldn't say an unconventional way, but a, a, a sort of a, a minimal way, really. There's very, very few riders that come from a grass track route, maybe motocross or trials for sure, but, you know, I don't know that many British riders that have come in through the grass track route. And the only one I can really think of is probably Leon Camier is one yeah. that springs to mind. Yeah. But you're going back 20, 20 odd years when he was at the, the sharp end. But you are yeah. a, you're it's a, a yeah, but you're a six time British grass track champion. I mean, that's, yeah. a, that's a pretty impressive feat. Yeah, it's all right. I know Leon's name's on the, on the old trophies of one. So it's a, uh... It's quite nice to be up there with him, but yeah. Well, I tell you what, if you have half the career that Leon had, you'll be doing all right, won't you? Oh, I'd actually killed to have his half of his career, but yeah, it's um, yeah, I mean, it was a good, good, good stepping stone, I think. You know, it's a, it's a bit different from winning motos and motocross, but I think it gives me a, an edge in different conditions. You know, in the wet conditions, I think it helps, and uh, that type of background where you like it sliding, etc. It's a, I think it does help, and you know, there's. Some good names have gone to Speedway normally from grass track, but yeah, it's, uh, it was really fun. I was doing that. Yeah, and I agree. I mean, as, as again, most of the listeners will know, I'm involved with, with Moto America. And, and again, that is a traditional route. So many of the young riders, even getting into their Junior Cup, which is the equivalent of the Super Sport mm-hmm. 300 over here, they're coming from grass track and, you know, starts to rain and mm-hmm. they're not scared. They're just, yeah. they're, they're used to riding with the bike sliding around. And it's, it's, it's just different, I guess, isn't it? It is different. Yeah, I did a couple of flat track races as well. I know the... Uh, Tim Neve was there in the same races, were one of the races that did anyway. And uh, I know the top, Tom and Tim, they, they sort of did the same, similar sort of oval racing, so they're sort of football. But I think it does tend to breed a different type of rider for different conditions. And I think it, yeah, I think it's good if you can, if it goes well. But yeah, I'm glad I made the switch over to tarmac. It sort of, the way it ended up, sort of about 13, I jumped over to tarmac. And uh, 
Yeah, they've not really looked back. The sort of track time you get from, I mean, you go to a grass track race and it's eight minutes on track all day, and that's included all your racing and everything. Eight minutes? Yeah, eight minutes. It's a minute race, you know, it's four laps. I suppose it is, yeah. Yeah, so you go, you travel a lot, you turn out to Devon to do a minute, a race, and so you have six minutes, you know, six minutes. Whereas you get you get all track time and warm up in BSB, so it's uh, yeah, it makes sense, doesn't it? You need seat time. So uh, you mentioned obviously you moved over to tarmac when you were thirteen. You went into the super team route, mm-hmm. which a lot of riders did. Obviously, Carl Crutchlow, Chas Davies, James Tozer, yeah. they all came through that way as well. Um, and then obviously moved into MotoStar with, with with Moto3. So what's the what's the long term objective? I mean, obviously everybody wants to get into MotoGP or, or World Superbike, but you know, realistically, what are you what are you hoping for in, in your career? I'd like to go as far as you can, I think. I think that's all, all you can hope for, really. That's, uh, yeah, it's sort of every opportunity. You know, money, if you had a limited budget, you'd go to no GP. But unfortunately, just do it. You know, I'm really lucky with the team I'm in, sort of Steve and Beck, who brought my team, sort of people, because they've given me a massive opportunity from when I jumped onto the road to, you know, they brought me through all the crises and, yeah. I'd like to go as far as I can. So obviously the team that you're with now in the Ducati, that's the same team that you were with in the Motorstar. Yes. Um, which, as you said, the loyalty that they've got, and obviously you for them, yeah. you know, is, is great. Um, are they obviously involved with the, the Stock 600 team as well then? So you're continuing yeah, for another so, year, so... Yeah, so they, it's sort of, I race with them, basically, so they, they bought a couple of their Stock 6 riders, and me and a, a guy called Austin Jones, and I know Dan Jones, his brother's been on the pod, it's a... Yeah, being able to jump in the pond to stop six with them next year. Great. No, that's good. Um, we get a lot of questions. Uh, again, we do a lot of interviews with riders at various different levels of their career. And what a lot of our listeners do like to, to know is, what do these riders do away from the track? Now, obviously, you're going to say training. You're going to say, oh, I get that. But, you know, what are the things do you do to, to, to relax? I mean, are you, a, are you a cinema guy? Are you festivals and music? I mean, what, what, what's what, what's your sound of you relax time? Because you know, saying you go to the gym, that's a given, right? <laughs> I mean, or maybe not. Maybe you're one of these riders that doesn't actually need to train. You could be a first on the podcast that you don't actually need to go to the gym. I wish. I wish. <laughs> I do. Yeah, I do a lot of cycling, that kind of thing. Uh, I go out with my mates a lot. I see them a lot. You know, see, do that kind of thing. It's see, that's why it wouldn't work with me. I don't have any, I don't have any mates. <laughs> so it wouldn't work. <laughs> yeah, we'll take you out in the town. It's, uh, yeah, it's all right. It's, it's good. Unfortunately, that's not something you can do sort of mid-season, really, with, we tend to have such busy, uh, busy summers, you know, I still like pit biking, that kind of thing. Uh, often racing the uh, B&B, sort of British mini bikes on uh, okay. whatever I can ride on. It's, uh, yeah, and that's good fun. You know? Go-karting, have you ever been partial to the odd um, exploit on a go-kart? Yeah, now and again, I tend to crash it a lot. But there's a... See, there's a common theme here, yeah, right, yeah. listeners. Uh, yeah, there is a theme here, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it tends to be a theme of crashing, but... Uh, you know, and, yeah, I do love a bit of go karting. Um, one of my mates did a bit of go karting. We went on. I did a bit of spanning for him, which uh, I mean, I'm hopeless on the spanning, so I'm not sure how we got on. But uh, yeah, it's a uh, yeah, pit biking tends to be what we do over the winter, that kind of thing. It's um, it's good fun. You know, the bikes are just Chinese crap. You know, you crush them and replace them for a fiber, so it's a uh, it's not too bad. I can get away with crushing one of those. It's a uh, it's definitely more affordable than crushing a Ducati. Oh my god. Yeah, I, I imagine you, you barrel roll one of them and uh, it's, well, I think they said in, they did a study in World Superbike a couple of years ago and they said that literally every time the bike flips, it was 10,000 euros. So you certainly have 8, 000, eight flips down the crane. I mean, if you lose at a crane, I mean, and there's been some big crashes at Craner over the years yeah. at Donington Park, you crash at Craner Curves and that bike does 10 somersaults, that's 100,000 and, you know, 
just literally throw the motec in the bin, the whole thing is destroyed. And you just yes. think, wow, that's. Yeah. You just see the dollar signs in your in your eyes, right? Yeah, I'm about to roll the R6 down, printing it at the end of last year. Oh, so you're a, you are a bona fide member of the Craner Club? Yeah. Oh, well done, mate. Yeah, well done. I know. <laughs> On an out lap as well, I made South Oh, mate, <laughs> mate. <laughs> the tracks in the UK I know we've talked about this on the, the podcast obviously I spend a lot of my time in Europe now but as I say also in America and, and I see a lot of similarities between the Moto America tracks and the British tracks you know Sonoma Laguna Seca yeah. the walls are quite close um, yeah. I wouldn't use the word dangerous but you know sketchy maybe a little bit but yeah, um, Park, yeah I was going to say like, have you had the chance I'm obviously Ducati's bit, you know, your series doesn't race in Europe, but have you had the chance to get across to Spain and, and check out, or Italy, or check out some of the, the foreign circuits? And, you know, if, yeah. if you have, what's your what's your thoughts on that? Because I'd be interested from a young British rider's perspective, yeah. compared to a, you know, a, a Dominic Agata, for example, when we've talked to him, he's grown up on European circuits. It's, you know, they don't maybe understand over the mountain at Cabral, for yes, example. Yes, I'd like to see him go over the mountain. It's uh, that sketchy, at least. Uh, I don't it's not, sorry, to cut you off. I'd like to see go over the mountain. Danilo Petrucci. Have you been watching the yeah, Dakar? Yeah. Sorry, we are recording this in the middle of the Dakar rally, and uh, yeah. just to interject there, I tell you what, that's impressive from Danilo Petrucci. He's doing well, he? I, know. I saw him. He won a stage. He won a stage yesterday. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's fair play to him. Isn't it? That is fair play. Anyway, sorry, I interjected there, but yeah. I'm just thinking that would be great to see him over the mountain because Petrucci. Well, right, I think well. Petrucci would actually pedal all right in BSV, wouldn't he? He did motocross background. Yeah, so. motocross background. He he's come through the stock six into stock one thousand mm-hmm. and, and come through that route. So I guess he'd be. Yeah, he's not going to be scared of the mountain, is he? Yeah, I think motocross riders do alright. Yeah, I think so. Obviously, I can't. I've never really jumped a bike, so I just can't really do it very well. I'm just slow over the mountain. Do you not get the front wheel up at all, or? Yeah, I tend to, and then just uh, shut the throttle because you shit yourself, basically. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Okay. I get a little bit (laughs) mad at myself and then shut off. I I did it once. I jumped it once on the Ducati, and it. um, Oh, really? And there yeah. ain't much room along there. If you've never been to uh, the track we're talking about, ladies and gents, is, is Cadwell Park. It's that infamous circuit in the UK with the jump, and it is narrow, isn't it? There's not much runoff, and as you said, gun over the mountain. If you get it, well, I suppose if you get it wrong, you can always just go and have a cup of tea in the cafe. It's yeah. just there on the corner. You'll end up in the cafe. You'll end up in the cafe. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's one of those tracks where it's just it's a bit narrow. It's good for fans, don't you? I can see where yeah. they go. You know, every time you go there, it's round. It's just full of people, you know, you basically yeah. stand on the tracks in front of you, so it's... Uh, yeah, it is, one of the, it is one of the good viewing tracks, but uh, yeah, but sorry, I was asking you if you've been over to, to Europe, have you actually sort of experienced any of the um, European circuits? Yeah, I've done Cartagena, and I've done Assen, so... Oh, of course, well. yeah, Assen, I mean, that is it, I mean, that is the Cathedral of Spit, that is, good, it yeah, is the yeah. circuit, isn't it, I mean, Assen is a, a brilliant track. I don't know if I prefer it on my team, you know, whenever they get there, they just seem to, it's on holiday, and they just spend the whole... Every night pissed, it's in. Yeah, well, you know, I can understand that. I mean, Assen is the place to do it. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. And the fans are passionate there, aren't they? They love their racing. Yeah, yeah. I don't tend to sign many autographs, but I've done a fair few in Assen, which is a bit weird. Yeah, yeah. what did you think? What did you think? What did you think of Assen then as a a circuit? So it's not the old, I mean, you probably weren't even born when the old circuit was was running, um, you know, it was seven or eight kilometres long, but I mean, the the circuit, even as it is now, is, is, is a pretty challenging track, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. Click with it, to be honest. It's a 
because it's so flat weird, weirdly being in Holland, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a flat track. It seems, um, I don't know, I just kind of struggled with it. I got, I mean, I didn't drop that, but I got podium, but in the wet, which is a... Back to the old grass yeah, track. In the day, That's yeah. it, you know. I, yeah, I don't know, it's um, yeah, I don't know, it's a track, I've only ridden it three times, I think, so it's not somewhere I've had much experience on, but yeah, sometimes I go there and I love it, and sometimes I go there and I just struggle all weekend, so it's a... Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned about the weather and the rain at Aston. I remember a couple of years ago actually um, doing a paddock show in the snow. Yes. We had snow there with the rain, you know, the rain and the snow came and it was like, are we going to race? Are we not going to race? And, you know, so yeah, it's, it's a bizarre, bizarre. So it's got, kind of like got its own little weather climate, hasn't it? It's, it's really strange. Is, yeah, it's like, well, it's, it tends to be grey every time I've been there. It just mm. seems, I don't think I've ever seen the sun there. But, uh, yeah, I mean... Yeah, it just rains out of nowhere and then it just stays wet and yeah. is I got caught out with paint and, and yeah. I think most everyone went out in warm up. I think two people ended up with a completing warm up. It was one of those. Oh really? Was this a proper crash fest? And yeah, they were both Dutch weirdly with the two lads that they stayed up. Yeah, because they used to yeah, it, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 It's weird. Everyone yeah. got caught out. I mean I was behind storm basically and both just hit a white line and just went just straight off. Yeah, straight off. Yeah, yeah. Well, at least you weren't your someone to talk to. Yeah, I mean, it's not really me. It could make that fans would just pull you like, oh, God. But, yeah. yeah. I mean, that was Motorstar days, where those Motor 3s are just... And I guess it's pretty flat out around there. There's quite a lot of corners there that are pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, it is fast. It is... A lot of it's just keeping the momentum up. And, mm. you know, by the end of my Moto 3, I was quite a heavy rider. I think I was carrying sort of 10, 15 kg on a lot. On most of the people there, yeah. so it was there. Which obviously brings us back to what we said, that's a natural progression to move on from that. I mean, if you're giving that kind of weight away, and it's not because you're a fat yeah. lad, it's not because you're just sat there eating donuts, well, maybe you are eating donuts all day, I don't know, yeah. but you just, you know, you just, you're, you're a tall, a tall lad and you're just too heavy for a, for a Moto3. I mean, how many riders have we seen even in, in the World Championship that if we're too big, we have to move straight on and, and they're yeah. forced out of the category just because of the weight? Yeah, I definitely found it easier once I jumped on the bigger bikes or I wasn't losing speed down the straight compared to everyone else and that was uh, that was easier sort of they're a bit more comfy to sit on whereas yeah. you have to fold yourself away on those better threes but yeah. I mean uh, don't get one of those bigger bikes in there but in, on the better threes a bit edge rendered it's like six clips on it but yeah, yeah. yeah you get on the bigger bikes but yeah it's a bit, bit more comfy you know you yeah. can and it just makes it a bit easier as well, doesn't it? If you're giving away that much in, in straight line speed, you've got to overcompensate in the corners. It's funny you mentioned and Ed Rendell and know him quite well. And that was one of the things that, you know, you know, he obviously won the, the championship when it was back in the one, two, five days. But then, you know, he was saying a lot of his crashes were because he was having to override the corners mm. just to gain an extra three bike length so that they didn't pass him down the straight. And that's always a recipe for disaster, isn't it? It really yes. is, to be fair. It's yeah. good. You just know you're going to crash. And, yes. and, and poor Ed didn't bounce as well as, uh, as some of the younger lads do. So no, you, then you break bones and then it... Yeah, I definitely, uh, yeah, we definitely came together a fair few times. This is, uh, yeah, we don't look hard. Yeah, ribbon is racing, ribbon right? Is racing, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's got to be done. Because, yeah, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we've been chatting for almost 20 minutes and I know I've said this in every podcast and I'm going to say it again. I know I get paid by the word, but I am sick of getting uh, emails telling me to shut up after 20 minutes. So I'm going to ask you just a couple of quick fire questions. It's something that we're doing in the uh, podcast in January and February this year. Predictions. Um, I like to stay impartial. I have my own riders that I'm that I'm obviously friendly with and riders that I'd like to see doing well, but I like to just keep my, my cards close to my chest. Um, British Superbikes. Uh, one name. Who's going to be the champion? Um, 
I've got to go with uh, Tarrant McKenzie to be honest. So Tarrant for the double? Yeah, I think so. I okay. think so. He's got it. Okay, let's move across then into World Superbikes. Who's going to be the champion in World Superbikes? Top rack again. Can Jonathan respond? Reading or a new name? Uh, I might see Sam Lowe's up there. Is, I think if Alex Lowe's. Even. <laughs> Do you know the amount of times I've done that in World Superbikes oh, by getting them wrong? Oh, and then I get messages, yeah. you've got the wrong one, you've got the wrong twin. I'm like, but they look the same. Like, they, Do you know what? If one of them crashed in a warm-up, I actually I said this to one of them um, at one of the races a few years ago, and they were both there. And I said, if, you know, if Alex actually went down and couldn't ride, you could just put his leathers on. You're the same height, the same build. You look exactly the same. Nobody would question it, would they? I think they'd probably have any scars that Yeah, one of them's got a little scar on the eye or something, isn't it? I think that's the only thing. I think, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I reckon, uh, but you'd get away with it, wouldn't you? Yeah, I reckon so. You would definitely try. Maybe you? they've already done it. Maybe, do you know what? Maybe we should actually get like a, what do you call it, one of these lie detector tests and actually say, have you ever pretended to be the other one? You'd do the, uh, you'd do the medical test, wouldn't you? Yeah. You'd get the other one to do the med- medical test to pass you fit. And I guess if, because the, if, they are obviously more or less identical, well, they are identical twins, aren't they? I wonder if they could sign each other's autographs and stuff. Oh, you know what I mean? Or even like yeah. sign, sign deals and stuff, like yeah, do each other's yeah. deals and that. That'd be... We we are, we are digressing now, and again, I'm. Stuff from, you? Yeah. You could definitely do TV. If... Yeah, you definitely could. Just literally, I can't be bothered to go and do this interview with uh, with, with Matt Roberts today. Just 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 wander just wander down and have a chat to him in the studio. Yeah. Yeah, 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 you could do. So uh, anyway, yeah. Um, so obviously, Alex Lowe's you'd like to see. I'd yeah. like to see it. Yeah. You know, to be fair, I, I would like to see. He's he's, yeah. he's been there or thereabouts. It'll probably you know. be uh, Jonathan or uh, Top Rack, but I just I'd like to see Alex Lowe's up there. Yeah, and then obviously final prediction we've got to ask you uh, as we come up to the end of our time uh, together on the podcast. Um, MotoGP, where's your where's your loyalties with that one? I'd like to see Johan Beer up there, to be honest. I'd like to see him in it again. He's one of my favourites. But it's hard to predict MotoGP this year, isn't it? Mm. Um, I think Will Marquez be on, on form? Will, well, will Marquez even race? Yes. This is the next eyes. question, isn't it, with his eyes? I think he's not going to do the test in Sepan, which doesn't really bode very well. But uh, yeah. I don't and know. Back and Quattro, I reckon, yeah, Peko's going to be quick. Oh, God, yeah. Zarko, Marty. Yeah, that's a bit, yeah, anybody could win in MotoGP, couldn't yeah, they? Yeah, that's probably you know. the most exciting championship looking at next year. So. Super competitive. Super it's competitive. Nice it, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, Ed, we are going to let you go and enjoy the rest of your weekend. And, uh, of course, before we do, how can people follow you on social media? Obviously, I know you're on Instagram and, and bits and bobs. How can they follow you? Yeah, Instagram, sort of... Uh, Good job. Well, hopefully thousands of people will start following you. And uh, as me and Gareth, uh, the producer, say, we will just take a, a very small uh, one pound per follow. <laughs> so uh, this is how we are financing our lives these days. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. All right, Ed, well, wish you very, uh, very much the best for uh, the Stock 600 Championship in BSB. And uh, fingers crossed they actually do a round at Donington again as a support round because it would be it, it would be nice to actually have no restrictions so we can actually interact yeah. uh, and get you guys back on the paddock show and yeah, uh, and, space, and yeah. fully interact with uh-huh. uh, with all the BSP guys as well but uh, for now thanks for joining us and yeah, good luck for the rest of the season cheers mate thanks for having me on
Our final guest on the Vroom podcast this week is the first ever rider coach that we've had on uh, the Vroom podcast. In the past, we've had riders, drivers, mechanics, uh, team managers, but never a rider coach. And uh, Ethan Chaplook is dialing in from the United States of America right now. And he's got a pretty exciting story to tell us. Uh, Ethan, thanks for being on the show, mate. Uh, how are you doing? Yeah, absolutely. I'm doing well. First and foremost, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate your time and I'm honored to be the uh, the first in my category per se there. Yeah, no, it's good. Like I said, we, we like to uh, we like to make things uh, sort of exclusive here and uh, have a lot of firsts and, and never been done before. So uh, we're glad that we can add you to uh, to that list. And I just want to say before we start, it is a real shame that uh, we are only audio at the moment on the Vroom podcast because uh, that room that you are dialing in from looks pretty splendid. You've got front fairings and fenders and bits of biking memorabilia all over the place. That looks like, is that Matthew Skoltz's fairing, I think, on the uh, on, on the floor there on your left-hand side? Um it's impressive, mate. I've got to say, I'm just sat here on a, on a very old IKEA green rocking chair. Not quite the same look, I have to say. Yeah, absolutely. Now I've uh, I've been kind of a hoarder the past few seasons in the Moto America paddock, picking up little mementos like that. Um, the guys at Westby were kind enough to to give me that after it was a little bit of a, a mishap in Minnesota. So it's it's been cool to add to the collection, and you know, it's meaningful because these are all athletes that I've worked with. Yeah, no, it's cool. It looks really, looks really, really cool. Now, before we get into your story and, and how you got into racing and, uh, and talk about some of the exciting things you've got coming um, in 2022, just give our listeners a bit of an understanding in, in terms of some of the riders that you've, that you've worked with, because uh, there's some pretty big names uh, in, amongst, uh, in amongst it. Absolutely. I've had the pleasure of working with a lot of guys in the paddock, whether it's been performance coaching or the recovery side, since I travel throughout the season doing the recovery work with all these guys to keep them fresh. So uh, we've had guys like, as you just mentioned, Matthew Skoltz has been on there, Cam Peterson. I've worked with worked with Loris Bass last year, Lorenzo Zanetti a couple of years ago. Um, a lot of the stock 1000 guys, Michael Gilbert, Wyatt Ferris, Hunter Dunham, uh, Brandon Posh. So it, it, it's it's been a on uh, it's been an honor being in the paddock and working with all of these guys, and it's uh, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, so you mentioned Loris Baz. I've got to ask you, did he autograph your head like he did me on Mike on the mic? <laughs> uh, did, did you actually get the pleasure of having a, a permanent marker uh, literally uh, signatured onto your bonds? Did, did that happen? You know, I don't think I've got as much like real estate to write on. Uh, I, so That's a I polite way that. of saying that you've got more hair than me, right? I, that's, okay. <laughs> that's, that's okay. I hey, you got to, you know, gonna go. I got I to gotta come on and poke some fun and, and <laughs> a little bit in that sense. But no, I, I did not have that pleasure. Uh, I clearly was not as much of a favorite as you were. Of, of yeah, well, all, all I can say is thanks to the Hunter Dunham pit and thanks to uh, Melissa Paris for uh, using WD-40 or whatever whatever <laughs> lubricant or chain spray she used to actually get it. It took her about 20 minutes to get it off. It was quite... Uh, it was quite a permanent marker. Um, but uh, yeah, Loris will be missed this year in Moto America, won't he? I think obviously he's going back to World Superbike, but I think uh, the Moto America fans and, and the championship will miss Loris. He was a good addition to the series. No, absolutely. And that's the funny thing about that, that HSBK racing team is they've brought two great people in over the last two years. Like I got pretty close with Lorenzo Zanetti over the that course of that season. And then same thing with Loris. Um, yeah, he'll definitely be missed. He's a great addition to the paddock, and they're they're both great people. Yeah. In the Nolan. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, you mentioned two two great riders there that are, that have raced in uh, in the World Superbike Paddock, and, uh, and certainly from Loris as well in MotoGP. Um, it hasn't been confirmed which team he's going to. Well, I have a pretty good idea, but we do know that um, Danilo Petrucci is is coming into Moto America. And I know we're kind of going off topic, but I think it's a it is a relevant thing to to say because um, I mean Danilo Petrucci. I don't know if you've been watching the Dakar Rally. I mean, phenomenal what that guy has done. I mean, he already was a, a bit of a fan favorite and, and I've known him from his time in World Superbike when he was in Superstock, but what a great guy. And, and to actually win a stage of the Dakar Rally on his debut appearance, I mean, that that is pretty spectacular. Uh, absolutely unbelievable. And it's it's going to be a pleasure and honor having that guy in the paddock. It's, it's cool to see Moto America making the effort to bring people like this into the series and, and having more eyeballs get on our series out here in the States. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, obviously, I want to go back to the beginning, what got you into racing. But just again, you've mentioned a couple of things about, you know, um, sort of rider coaching and the mental preparation and all the recovery stuff. And and again, we have a lot of listeners. I think we have about 17,000 subscribers now on the podcast. Not all of them are from the motorcycle world. Some of them are coming from the car world or, uh, you know, different forms of motorsport. So they may not be familiar with some of the terms that we might use during the interview. Just in very layman's terms, in simple terms, just explain what your role is. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually do work with not just motorcycle riders. I have a few NHRA drag racers out here that I work with. I've got legend car riders. So uh, a couple of my clients locally to me race in the same series that Chase Elliott grew up racing in. Now he's okay. a NASCAR champ and yeah. well-known throughout the world. So that's it's cool. And I'm familiar with other, other motorsports in that sense. But yeah, I... Simply put, I help just get everything locked down and far as far as performance goes. So that includes the physical, mental, and nutritional side. Uh, my emphasis, my emphasis is a lot heavier on the mental side at the end of the day, especially with motorsports. It's, I would argue, almost any sport, especially once you get to the highest level. It, at the very least, it's eighty percent mental, twenty percent physical. At the most, it's more like ninety-five-five. But with that said, we want to make sure that we're checking all the boxes and not leaving anything to chance. And my, my biggest concern per se is, is making sure that all my athletes are getting the biggest returns possible for the time and energy that they're investing into training. That's kind of what got me into this niche in the first place is when I went to the Moto America paddock the first time. It was pretty astounding how few riders worked with a coach who was specific to the sport. So that's that's kind of what has been my goal in this sense. Yeah, that's really interesting because obviously I'm coming at it from a slightly different point of view. And obviously the work that I've done with Moto America and, and other roles that I have around the world, really looking at how a rider, I don't want to say conducts themselves, but in essence, it is what they're doing away from the track. It's, you know, and I've said it many, many times with young riders, whether it be in the world World Super Sport 300 Championship, the, the, the um, sort of the Junior Cup in Moto America, um, Red Bull rookies, riders that I've that I've worked with and got to know there as well. It's not just about what you do on the circuit, as you said. You know, whether it's a mental side, whether it's a media side, the sport has changed massively because of social media. So, from one side, from a marketing perspective, where I'm coming at it, I see that. But also, you hit the nail on the head there a little bit with the the mental side you know, and mental health, you know, and it's, it's a topic that isn't really talked about in motorsport. And when it is, it's either frowned upon or people kind of, you know, not everybody, but there are people out there that will make fun of it or there'll be derogatory comments in social media. Mental health, especially if you're racing a motorcycle at 200 miles an hour, 
It's a big thing, right? I mean, so I, I think what you're doing and what you're trying to achieve is is commendable. And I think, it, you know, that it's it's something that we shouldn't be frightened to talk about. You know, everybody has day-to-day struggles. It doesn't matter whether you're flipping burgers in McDonald's or whether you're racing bikes. You know, you need to have an outlet or a vehicle to actually be able to, to get that off your chest and to deal with it in a way that, that allows you to still perform. Because, you know, as you said, if, if 80%, the lower case or 95% is in your head, if your head's not right, you're not going to compete to the best of your ability. Yeah, ex- absolutely. And um, I think it was Romain Grosjean and um, Nico Rosberg were on a podcast together and they kind of talked about that in a sense. And um, I, I think that was huge getting it talked about on such a big stage with two guys who are so well known. And that's something they even mentioned. It, it's such, there's such a stigma surrounding talking about mental performance, mental health. Um, and it's, it's nonsense at the end of the day. Like if you're coming out here trying to compete at whatever level, or you're just trying to have fun and and hop on a bike or in a car or just any sport, really, there's, there's no reason to leave it up to chance. Like that's, that's one of my main focuses for that very reason. It makes no sense to me to leave something so important and so critical, not only to your performance, but your health and your safety and well-being in general. Why, why are we leaving that to chance? Yeah, no, I, I fully agree. I fully agree. Now, obviously, you're still, you know, you're a lot younger than me. I mean, I'm still only 27, he says, tongue in cheek. Uh, I wish I was still only 27. I'm getting older now. But, um, you know, you, you're still very young to be in the role that, that you're in. Um, tell us a little bit about, you know, how you got into this specific niche, because as you said, it is a, a niche. You're kind of creating your own little niche within within the, the Moto America paddock, which is, again, to be commended. Um, but how did you get into that? Because, you know, it's not the normal I say the normal, you know, for me coming from a media side, it's not something that I would be able to do, for example. Yeah, so that's, it's honestly a funny story and it's not what most people expect when I tell them. I didn't grow up a motorsports enthusiast. Um, I didn't grow up racing. I grew up in very much ingrained in traditional sports. I grew up playing hockey. I played all the way through college. I was always very involved with sport and I'd gone through kind of my own traumas and my own struggles mentally and, and that set my emphasis on the mental side of performance and the mental side of wellness pretty strongly there just through my own experiences. And then I started my first business with a partner while I was still in college, ran that for a while. We ended up sponsoring Hunter Dunham. I did all of his training remotely. I was in California at the time. And then once my fiance finished uh, her teaching credential program, we moved to Georgia kind of plants our roots, a little, little less expensive than California out here in Georgia. So that's when I started working with Hunter Dunham in person, having him over to my, my apartment at the time and training him there. And we built a relationship that led to me going to Road Atlanta a few years back. Um, it, it's pretty funny how it all started too, because it wasn't like they had me out to Road Atlanta with this plan of having me part of the team and having me there every round and a mainstay in the paddock. That's not at all how it started. I I literally brought my massage gun because Hunter had been d- dealing with some arm pump and I wanted to see what he was doing and, and be a part of the scene. And so when I showed up, yeah, I was working on Hunter and then Ken Peterson came into the RV. So I met him. Michael Gilbert came into the RV because he was pitting with Hunter that year. So I met him and then Cam was complaining about his shoulder. So I fixed that up, got him loose. And he's like, Holy, wow, this is, it's, it feels way better. So fast forward, a few days later, the round's over, Dunham's are back home and Amy calls me and she's like, hey, we have a proposition for you. Would you be game 
being a part of the team and traveling with us every week to the rounds and, and being a mainstay. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. That sounds phenomenal. So I went from in back, roll back a little bit. Once we made the agreement to sponsor Hunter Dunham and train him, I obviously, I, I'm very fastidious in my preparation. So I spent probably hundreds of hours researching the sport and, and doing my due diligence and figuring out as much as I could. And then that first season in the Moto America paddock was extremely helpful. I was able to talk to every single rider that I worked with on the percussion or on the recovery side and, and pick their brains as far as what they were doing right now. And maybe kind of formulate that plan of like, okay, well, they're doing this, this, and this, we can improve on that because that's not really specific to what they're doing, or we can, we can get more of a return on their investment here, here, and here. So that first season was extremely helpful, built the relationships, met a bunch of people, figured out a lot more just through experiencing it. And then that second season in the paddock is when I started to really pick up more momentum. Um, I had a full off season to kind of do some preparation and work with a few more of the guys in the off season, help them out. So started to get results in that and see returns. And uh, Ben Gladio is one of the athletes that I worked with over the off season as well. And, you know, his, his results spoke for themselves. So long story short, that one relationship led to me falling in love with the sport and, and wanting to throw myself all in at it. And since then, I, I've, I've basically pivoted. That original business fell apart. Business partner and I split ways. And I was left with the decision either, okay, do I you know, settle for a, a real job per se, as some people would put it, or do I go all in on what I enjoy doing and make my own business and, and focus on what I am passionate about? So luckily I decided to take the risk again and here we are. Yeah, that's kind of similar with me. It's funny that you say, you know, a real job as people say, you know, I worked in the banking industry alongside being a, a journalist and a presenter for, for probably Know, six or seven years and you know don't get me wrong it was a great job you know but it becomes tedious when you're suited and booted you're getting on the the underground you know it's hot or even when it's pouring with rain you can sit behind a desk all day you're presenting to you know big banking institutions and don't get me wrong it's a great job and the money was great but you know you go and you rock up at Assen TT Assen or you suddenly rock up at Jerez and granted at the time, you know, 10 years ago, maybe wasn't earning anywhere near the kind of money that I was in the banking world. But man, life was fun. You know, you would love getting up on a morning, you know, it's like now, am I making the same amount of money that I did 15 years ago? No, I'm not. But my quality of life is way better. You know, 95% of my friends are all in the paddock. You know, it's like you get on, people say to me all the time, bloody hell, you did nine races last year, back and forward. You're in Navarra, then you're in the Ridge, then you're back across to Europe and then you're back across again. Aren't you tired? I'm like, yeah, I'm tired, but I wouldn't change it for the world. You know, it's, it's the best sport in the world. It's the best job in the world, you know, with the best friends that I've ever had in the world. So why would you change that? M money's not everything. I mean, sure, you need money. But you need to live, right? But it's not the be for me, it's not the be all and end all. And I think, you know, that's maybe when we met this year and properly started talking, I think there is just a, there's a synergy there. And I think it's a synergy that, that I've seen around the world, the people within motorcycle paddocks for the most time, for the most part, you're always going to get the odd bad apple. Right. But for the most part, everybody's super friendly and we're all there for the right reasons. And it is like a big family, isn't it? You know, I mean, I've been lucky to be in, in several paddocks around the world and, it is such a family sport. Sure, it's competition, right? And there's always going to be rivalries. But you, you know what I'm trying to say? It's like, there, it's a family. You, you feel welcome. You don't feel excluded. Oh, 100%. I was just having that conversation with my fiance the other day. I was like, I was, I was just kind of reflecting on it. And I was thinking about it because she mentioned something about the wedding planning and you know, 
stresses me out. But uh, she mentioned something about the wedding planning and the bridal party and the group. But you're leaving you're leaving house. all of that to her, right? So you're like, you know, you're leaving. Oh, yeah. All- yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's all. I don't, I don't need to be involved there. That's happy wife, happy life, right? Uh, that's it. You, you just need to know the church and when you've got to turn up and, and that's it, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, but I was talking about like my groomsmen party and I was, I was reflecting on the fact that I guarantee it's probably going to be about either 90 or 100% riders or racers. It's, it's going to be my friends and family from the paddock. From the racing party, world, right? Sure. Yeah, exactly. And it's, yeah. it's like, it's a testament to how close you get to those guys. And it's, um, it reminds me of the bond I had with my teammates when I was playing college hockey in the sense, like, yeah, you're there for a similar purpose. And yes, there's rivalries and, and there's, there's arguments that happen and there's drama. It's, it's the same with anything, but right. at the same time, we're all there for the same reason. We want to perform at a high level and then pursue the same goal and push forward. And there's, there's a bond that's built through that adversity and through that struggle. and similar drive that is stronger than a lot of other bonds that you'll find out there. So, yeah, 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 for sure. For sure. I mean, obviously we've got to know each other quite well over the last season in Moto America. And uh, I know you've, uh, you've appeared on Mike on the mic, which was, uh, which was something I really enjoyed doing. I'm looking forward to doing that again uh, this year. It's interesting for me, you, you come across, you know, competitive, is, is, is something that I would say you, you strike me as being competitive, you know, and I, I've only recently found out about your, your college hockey past, right? I mean, that is a brutal sport, right? I mean, it can be brutal. Um, you know, you've got to be, of course, the fitness side of things is one thing, but, you know, the competitive edge. Do you think the fact that you've, granted, it's not on a, on a, a, motorci- a motorcycle or on a, a car circuit, but do you think that the fact that you've had that kind of experience of, of a sport where you need to be competitive and you need to strive to always be the best that you possibly can. Do you think that's kind of helped you now? If you kind of see where I'm going with that, has it helped you? I mean, it's not, it's not like for like sport, sure. You know, but it's, it's, it, it's still got a lot of the criteria that you need, right? Absolutely. And if I, uh, you know, if I didn't have sport in my life and if that wasn't, if I'm being honest with my past, like sport was 100% my biggest focus and my biggest passion. And it's always been that way. I had some experiences that burnt me out on hockey and and I was left frustrated with the sport and pretty disillusioned, but those experiences definitely shaped who I am and and my passion and what I want to accomplish. And there's without a doubt, if I hadn't played at that competitive of a level and, and been that committed to it and learned those lessons the hard way, I would not be in this position and I wouldn't be coaching. I mean, the whole reason that I, got into coaching and, and wanted to facilitate others being their best selves because I grew up in a middle, arguably lower middle-class family at the time playing a very expensive sport, not as expensive as motorsport, but still, as far as traditional sports go, it's probably the most expensive traditional sport you can play. So we were piecing things together. I was fundraising to pay for my seasons and I didn't have the luxury of having a, a performance coach per se. So I had to figure out a lot of stuff on my own or, do internet research or listen to a coach who may not have been specialized in that area. And it, it, it was difficult and it was, it was hard sledding at a lot of times. And there's a lot of things that looking back that I could have done a lot better and I would have been a lot more successful as an athlete. So that absolutely forged my path as far as being a coach and where my passions lie. And it, it emphasized the fact that even as a coach, I still need to be growing and getting, especially as a coach, actually, I need to be growing and getting better every single day, every single chance I get. If I'm stagnant, I'm getting worse in my opinion. There's, there's no staying the same. And I don't 
I don't take my, my job very lightly in that sense, in that manner. I feel it's a privilege to work with any client that I have. Um, I treat all my clients the same in that regard, whether it's a amateur. Until you have me on your books. Until you have me on your books. And then you're going to think, oh, geez, like what the hell am I standing <laughs> for here? No, uh, no, nah, nah. it'll, it'll, you'll see. Oh, la- ladies and gentlemen, if you could see the facial expressions that came across his face when I said that, he, he's now going to try very, he's going to be like a politician now and give us a very, very nice answer. But the, the look of horror on his face when I said that. <laughs> it was just such an interrupt from the tangent I was on. And it was, boom. <laughs> Mike on the mic, baby, let's go. Uh, yeah, so I, I, it's not, it's not something that I take very lightly. And to long story short, yes, that played a huge impact on on where I'm at today. Yeah, for sure. And obviously, like I said, with with, with my role, you, you see a lot of rider coaches and you see, you know, again, some names in, in Moto America that spring to mind, Jason Pridmore, Josh, uh, Josh Hayes, that will be, you know, going out onto the circuit. They're doing sort of, you should be breaking here. This is the apex. Look, look at this hole that's in the curb here. That's not what you're doing. You're doing coaching in a completely different way. And yeah, and I work in complement with those guys, is what I'd say. Exactly. You know, what would you say to somebody that's listening that kind of goes, ah, yeah, it's it's a fad. You know, you don't need that. You know, you've got to because there are those there are those people out there, right? And you know, oh, yeah. and I know that that's not the case. You know, to be the best of the best, you need to train and be the best. You know, look at some of the riders in MotoGP, any form of motorsport in, in any sport, not just motorsport, whether it's football, um, you know, cricket, tennis they're all working with these mind mind coaches now and things. So it's not a fad for sure. It's not, but oh, I've got a, I've got a simple answer to that. Go on, go watch drive to survive on Netflix. Every single one of those F1 guys, arguably the peak of motorsport, they have a performance coach. They work with those performance coaches, work with them one-on-one. Exactly. They handle not just the mental side, but also all their physical preparation, all their recovery work. That's kind of where I see myself in this position. And that's, that's, it, 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 I feel like that speaks for the validity of it and the need for it. And yeah, and I think it's it's, 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 it's so true. Sport yeah, I think it's so true. Yeah, because you know you, you see riders and, and you know we, we all follow riders and, and athletes on on Instagram. You know, especially in the world of social media, you see that they're at the gym, they're, they're doing X, Y, and Z, and that's all great. But you know, it's not just about going to the gym five times a week and lifting 80 kilo weights and, and, you know, doing 500 sit-ups or whatever it happens to be that's in your, in your regime. There's so much more to it, isn't it? You've got to do it right. Cause we could all go exactly. to the gym for five. I mean, I can't go to the gym for five, five hours a, a, a week. I'm, I'm barely, if I can go five times a year, but anyway, we will change that. Ethan. we will change that. As I said, uh, Mike, Mike on the mic will be your biggest accomplishment ever. That's it. You might never That's want to it. work in the industry ever again if you've had to coach me, mate. I tell you. <laughs> hey, it's the challenges make me better. That's that's all I can say. Oh, it, it, it would be a challenge, mate. It would be a challenge. Like I'm living on McDonald's, KFC, Nando's chicken. <laughs> like I'm terrible. No, really, my, it, it's funny if you actually speak to some of my colleagues in the World Championship. I'm either eating burnt steak, which I mean burnt to a cinder, no sauce on anything. Literally French fries, very little vegetable. I'm terrible, mate. Have you not seen me before we do a show in, in Moto America? The amount of sodas and energy drinks that I'm drinking. It's really bad. I really do have to change. Oh, yeah. yeah we'll get you. Yeah, I do have to change. I can't believe I'm putting this out there on the podcast. Everybody looks at me and thinks <laughs> I'm in the prime physique element of my life. And behind the scenes, I'm a complete sugar mess, basically. Hey, it's relatable. <laughs> it's- it's something I'm not sure. I'm not sure a lot of my uh, close friends would say it's relatable. They, they, they want to go to these nice fancy restaurants, and I'm quite happy just to go for a burger and fries. But anyway, 
It's all good. It's all good. Obviously, I've got, I've got to ask you as well. Um, this coming year, 2022, as we've said, Moto America, it's going to be a fantastic season. I think if we look further afield with um, with World Superbike, BSB, um, Moto America, as I've said, uh, you know, Moto Two, Moto Three, all, all of these championships are going to have, I think, fantastic, fantastic seasons. Lots of new names, lots of new things to look forward to. You're also working with a number of new riders this year. Tell, tell us about what you've got on the on the table for for 2022. Absolutely. So I've made it my so to roll it back last year, about seven months ago now was the first I've been 100% committed to motorsports. I, I'd been kind of a split focus before for the past few years. I'd been trying to run that business with a business partner and that falling apart became the biggest blessing because I could go all in, all in on it. And after that first couple months, I kind of had it in mind that my biggest focus there, my goal with the work I'm doing is, is not just to work with the top end guys. Like, yes, I love doing that and it's important and the work we're doing is, is going to help them push their careers forward and, and stay healthy doing so and get the most out of it. But at the same time, for the sport to grow, you need this, in my opinion, you need this kind of coaching and this development and this support to be more widely accessible and affordable at that, especially with how expensive it is in the motorsport world. So that's where I've been trying to put things together and put projects together to make coaching at a high level more accessible. And I've been collaborating with my professionals that I work with. I've been collaborating with other people in the industry like yourself. I've been collaborating with other coaches who are similarly focused. Um, and so I've been working on some online programs. I've got an online Facebook group that's uh, completely free to join as far as motorsports athletes. I just try and post in there regularly and do Q and A's and build that community feel and that tribe. And it's cool. How can you, it kind of how can you like subscribe the- to that then? Cause that, that's interesting. Um, you know, there will be people listening that will, will want more information. So, you know, how to, to subscribe to, to your Facebook um, program, how, how do people do that? Yeah, I think probably the easiest way would be going to my Instagram and then clicking the link in my bio. So I think my Instagram is at Coach Chaplook and that's Coach C-H-A-P-L-U-K. And then there's a link in my bio that says Free Motorsports Performance Facebook group or something like that. So if you click on that, fill out the the request, then I'll, I'll you'll be in the group. Simple as that. Um, so that's that's been cool. That group's cool because it's it feels like the paddock away from the paddock there's that banter the same way and you're talking with people who are similarly driven and it's a fun experience. And then I've got uh, one motorsports program that I've built out or road racing program I've built out online right now. That was kind of the first quote unquote test. I wanted to see if the interest was there and luckily we've already had a good amount of people sign up for it. So I've got other projects in mind that I'm working with to make that more accessible. And then definitely more athletes than I've ever had before that I'm working with this off season to, to push forward and, you know, some some good names in that group and it's it's been fun oh that's cool that's really cool and like i said i know that we we, we always get a lot of feedback after each of our podcasts with various questions and we always give you know our guests the chance to uh, to promote themselves I'm, I'm sure that people will be interested in that not just from the motorsport world as you said you, you obviously are working with other other athletes as well um We've been chatting for about 35 minutes now, which is, uh, which is a long time. Like I said, uh, I, I talk for England, you know that. So uh, it, it's nice to actually just for me to, to try and just be quiet and listen to the story that you're telling, because I find it really, really fascinating. 
I've got to ask you, we are asking a lot of our guests um, in the run-up to the season for predictions. And obviously in my role, I like to uh, to try, obviously we all have our favourites, right? But I, I do like to try and keep impartial and not put anything out there. Um, and I'm sure you obviously have, have riders that you work with that you want to see do well. But just as a, as a general a general thing, obviously I know you, you follow um, various motorcycle events now. Moto America, um, the Superbike Championship, this year, if you had to pick one or a couple of riders you think that would be title contenders, where would your money be? I think uh, I think Jake Gagne is going to be tough to beat still. I, I don't think he's going to have a drop-off after that season. <clears throat> In fact, the only reason, you know, all full credit to Matthew. I, I work with him closely and he's my dude and I love the guy and he's riding at an outstanding level as well. But last season... The things Gagne was doing, I mean, he was blowing Cam's records out of, Bobier's records out of the water. So he's going to be one that's to watch. Surprised, I mean, what you said there, that surprised a lot of people, didn't it? I mean, oh, no yeah. disrespect to Jake Gagne because we knew he was a good rider before he put that season together. But sometimes you just got to put the pieces of the jigsaw together. And last year for Jake Gagne, Clicked. was he just clicked a in. perfect season, wasn't it? I mean, and some of the lap times that he did. I mean, I remember talking with Roger Hayden and Robbie Floyd and, and the guys at, um, at Brainerd. And you just think man, this guy's on rails. Like something just clicked and it just worked for him. And, and I agree with really? you. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think Gagne is going to be a favorite. I think Matthew will be quick. Matthew's going to be up there. Ken Peterson is yeah. going to be strong as well. I mean, his his coming out season last year was phenomenal. And it was really cool to see him get his first win, especially working with him over the past few years. Uh, yeah. And it's was, interesting cool as well, one. though, isn't it? It's interesting as well that there's, there's not many rider announcements yet i mean we haven't even had it officially confirmed that jake gagne is staying with yamaha i mean yeah, it's everybody kind of knows that he is but it's kind of nothing's out there i mean i mean i think yeah. the only rider in superbike that is confirmed is matthew skultz yeah no yeah. no other announcements there's been no suzuki announcements i mean there's been lots of rumors we know that Danilo petrucci is coming to moto america we all assume he's going to replace Loris Baz, but again, that's not being confirmed. Oh, I mean, there could be a there could be a side side swipe coming in here, and he could be on a Yamaha or a Suzuki, couldn't he? I mean, we don't actually know. Oh, absolutely! It's it's going to be interesting. And then yeah, I've I got one so. more prediction in that sense, and not necessarily in the Moto America paddock, but I think um, I think Cambobi is going to surprise a lot of people this season, and I think Sean Dylan Kelly is going to do very very well, considering that it's his first season. Uh, but yeah, I think those two are going to, they're going to show that a lot of, a lot of the criticisms I've seen online of Moto America are like, oh yeah, this is where washed up riders go to, to die. And it's like, no, that's, that's not the case. And it's, it's an up and coming season and the right level of riding is incredible. I mean, you can look at Loris Baz was a great example. He came in and had a few podiums in our season and goes right back to world Superbike and he podiums instantly. So the level of riding is pretty incredible at both levels. And it's, I think we're going to see some uh, some good results there, but obviously I'm I'm an American, I'm biased. So yeah, you know, and I was going to ask you about that, obviously with the American racing team and what they've accomplished over the last couple of years, and uh, you know, obviously Cam Cambodia going over there. And I got to say, I was the first one when I saw Cameron uh, in Qatar last year, and and I wasn't rude to his face and kind of questioning him to his face, but you know, I I met, he he knew my feelings before the season, like man, you could have gone to World Superbike, you know, it, it's like surely that would have been an easier transition, you know, and it was. I think it was a decision that a lot of people questioned, not saying that Cambobia can't cut it in Moto2 or potentially MotoGP. That's not where I was coming at it from. But it's like after dominating on a superbike, surely the natural progression would be to, to yeah. follow Garrett Gerloff and, and have two Americans in World Superbike. That's where my headspace was. 
But, you know, he, he put a pretty good, solid debut season together. Moto2 is probably one of the hardest championships in the world. I mean, we're talking 26 guys covered by a second, aren't we? I mean, it, it's that That's tight. Um, and I agree with you, you know, where, where people, again, have been very critical in the past. Also, I remember maybe 10, 10, 12 years ago when I was a lot younger as well. And BSB went through that, that phase where I think at one point there was maybe 14 bikes on the grid. You know, and everyone's like, oh, this championship is over, blah, blah, blah. And look at it now. It's thriving. It's one of the, the, the best, if not arguably the best domestic championship in the world um, in terms of the caliber of riders, the number of teams. And if you look at what Moto America's done, you know, and again, I'm a little bit biased because I'm involved with the series now. But even if I wasn't, you can see when they first took over the championship five or six years ago to where it is now. It, oh, yeah. It's made leaps and bounds. And, you know, you, you can't change the whole dynamics of a championship in two years. And anybody that says that it's, it's like if MotoGP suddenly sold, sold the rights and a new, a new promoter came in, you know, they're not going to revolutionize and change it. You mentioned formula one earlier. There's a prime example, you know, Liberty came in, in, in formula one and, you know, only now after a couple of years, are they starting to make changes? Let's do a sprint race. Let's try this. You can't come in and just change everything overnight. It's impossible. So, you know, it always makes me laugh. That's why sometimes on, on Twitter, on social media, I just don't get involved because I think, guys, you, you're all idiots. You know, it's when they make all these comments about various championships, it's like, you don't know your ass from your elbow. Like, you don't even know what you're talking about. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy. And, and people also don't um, appreciate the cost. I mean, it's, it's something that really only in the last couple of years with Moto America as well, I never appreciated the cost just of traveling around America, taking these big transporters. You know, we, we look at Europe and we kind of take it for granted that the whole MotoGP or World Superbike Circus moves from circuit to circuit or same in BSB. But you look at the size of, of Great Britain, it's a lot more cost effective to take a, a, a lorry from, from Wales um, to Scotland. You know, it's, it's a few hundred miles and the job's done. I was talking to a couple of team owners last year where they're talking it's 36, 38 hours to move from one circuit to the next. And you've got to do that in the space of 10 days with the way that the pandemic went. I mean, that is a lot of time in these trucks that are limited to 55, 60 miles an hour. I mean, that's, you know, when you start adding all of that cost together and, and it's small things like that. That's why I just, I just switch off from the idiots on social media, you know, and it's like last year, look, look at the, the negativity that, that Cambobier got, you oh, yeah. know, in the early part of the season, because he wasn't at the front. It's like, Man, he's just qualified 24th and he's 0.7 of a second off Remy Gardner. Or, you know, it's like, come on, man, that's in any other in any other championship five years ago, he would have been winning races. It's just that exactly. it's it's so competitive. But but I I'm not American, but I would love to see Bobier do well. And I'd like to see Sean Dylan Kelly do well because I do think it's completely unjustified where people say that the the talent in North America is not there. The talent is there. It just needs to be allowed to get out. <laughs> the same yeah. as when we have it in BSB, you know, when people talk about riders from, from the UK. Yeah, we've had a, you know, we've had a lot of success in World Superbike from riders from Great Britain. You know, we're the most successful nation. But look at some of the riders now that, that are leaving. You know, Tom Sykes no longer in the series. Leon Haslam no longer in the series. You know, so all of a sudden where we've had seven or eight riders, we're now down to, I think, two or three. But where's the next riders coming from? You know, no disrespect, but Jonathan Ray isn't going to race for the next 15 years. You know, there's going to, you know, he's not going to race when he's 50, right? He's going to stop. So where's the next young gun that's coming through? You know, and it's the same in, in the States, isn't it? I mean, how many years have we waited for a for a Sean Dylan Kelly or for a, for a Cambobia to actually move out of the States and actually be given yeah. a shot? And it's not the fact that they, they don't have the talent. It's the fact that nobody 
was giving them a shot. Exactly. In my opinion, you know, and I, I don't no, want to get I mean, political. I don't want to turn it into a political thing, but that's the reality. People look at Nikki, and then we had yeah. nothing for a long while. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, exactly. You know, Nikki Hayden. You know, once once he was in in MotoGP uh, and you know, he won the title, but nobody was then taking a risk. Well, not even a risk. No one was giving an opportunity to to the next American. You know, and that's my worry for British motorcycle racing as well. You know, it's. I think in, in Moto America, we see, you mentioned Ben Gloddy, we've got Tyler Scott, um, you know, there's a, there's a whole ream of other names, even Hunter Dunham, and a lot of these youngsters that are, you know, they're transitioning into, to, Brandon Pasch, you mentioned as well, you know, there's a lot of American talent that, given the right opportunity, they could do really, really well. My worry in, in, in the British Championship is if you look at BSB, apart from maybe one or two riders, maybe Taron McKenzie, yes, he won the championship. But again, no disrespect to the likes of Tommy Bridewell or Christian Iden, you know, or Josh Brooks. I mean, Josh Brooks is Australian, so that doesn't really count anyway. But, you know, where I'm going is the, these guys are already well into their 30s, that they're not going to be, they're not even going to be looked at, even if Tommy Bridewell, for example, could still, in my opinion, be a regular top six finisher, given the right opportunity, he will never get the chance because... It, that's just the way it is now. You know, we look at, I don't know if you've been following um, uh, Honda and I'm waffling on here now. This is just as well I get paid by the word, isn't it? But, um, you know, Ika Laquona at 22 years of age has been fired from MotoGP because his results weren't good enough. Now, the guy's had multiple top tens. He's a top six finisher in MotoGP. You know, granted, it might have only been one off but he loses his seat in MotoGP. Now that's our gain in World Superbike, the fact that we can bring a young, hungry, talented, you know, Spaniard into the championship at 22, I think is fantastic for, for World Superbike. But at 22 years of age, he's already had two years and because he, he didn't win or, he, you know, it, it's, it could be over. I mean, that for me is crazy. I mean, that, that, you know, I understand the politics. I understand it's a business. I get all of that. But for me at 22 years of age to go, yeah, actually... Your time, your time for now is over. It's like, wow. Wow. That's control. Yeah. But that kind of then links back nicely to kind of what we were saying at the beginning, you know, from me on the media side, what do these youngsters have to do off the track? You know, you've got to make sure that your social media is on point. You've got to make sure that you're not posting stupid things that might be funny with your mates, but, you know, leaping out of a hotel window from the fourth floor into a swimming pool is probably not going to get you the next MotoGP seat. Yeah, your sponsors right. aren't going to be super sure. They're not going to look at that, you know? And it's kind of like what you said with the mental side of things as well. You know, how is a 22-year-old, and I'm sure Iker is very sound, I don't know him that well, but I'm, I'm sure he doesn't have any, any problems at all. He's got good people around him. But, you know, not everybody has that luxury of, of being in that position with a manager that's protecting them, right? So it kind of falls into what you're trying to do, right? How does a 18, 19, 20-year-old who takes a bit of a gamble to go in a certain direction and it doesn't work you know, so many riders would be lost at that point, right? That it, because they don't know how to deal with it. They don't know how to, to deal with any negativity and things like that. So I think it's, it just comes full circle. And I waffled on a bit, but it's coming back full circle to why it is important for what you're doing. Yeah, it's, it's a good point. Um, a lot of people think, and I've, I've had this relationship before in the past where I've been you know, close friends with my clients and I've uh, when I first started coaching, I was more of a friend than a coach in a sense. And I, don't get me wrong. I'm still very close with a lot of my, most of my clients, if not all of my clients, and they're very close friends of mine. But that's not to say that I'm not going to piss every single one of my clients off when they need to be pissed off. I'm not going to, I'm going to tell them things that they don't want to hear because at the end of the day, 
what we're trying to accomplish is their goals. And that's going to take them realizing where they're weak and where they're doing stupid stuff that needs to be reined in. So that's, um, it's a good point. Like there's, there's so much, you have to play the game at this point, basically. There's, there's no path as far as doing your own thing and doing 100% what you want all the time. Um, yeah, you're, you might get social media views because you do something crazy, but if, if your sponsors and your team don't like that, you're probably shooting yourself in the foot, burning opportunities, burning bridges. So yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No. And I want to just put in a disclaimer that I wasn't actually insinuating that Ika Lakona has jumped out of a fourth floor hotel. That wasn't (laughs) what I was saying. Cause I just know that some, some wise crack on social media is going to go, when did he do that? I wasn't saying it was Ika. It just happened to be the next point that I made following on from Ika. Old disclaimer. These are all hypotheticals. Yeah. yeah, We're not talking about anybody in specific. No, absolutely not. Just, just making a generalization, you know, that there are, you you see it on social media, people doing crazy things. I wasn't for one second saying that Ika Lakona has jumped out of a hotel. So that would be pretty cool though if he did wouldn't it i, I wouldn't have, you know i wouldn't have the balls to do it i'd get to the window look out and go nah you're all right you know yeah. I, I think of all the videos that i've seen where it goes wrong and somebody lands with their leg on the side of the pool and say, ah, yeah i'd miss the pool completely it could be like an olympic size swimming pool but i'd still find the piece of concrete you know what i mean like i just literally mush myself into the floor but uh anyway Ethan, we've uh, we've now well and truly been uh, chatting for, for way over 40 minutes, which, uh, you know, is, is great because I think we, we've covered a load of stuff. Um, big thanks for being on the show. And um, are you going to be at Daytona? Actually, that's a, my next question. Sir. Oh, great. Yeah. So we'll catch up at Daytona um, for the Daytona 200. Again, if uh, listeners aren't aware, Moto America are running the Daytona 200 this year, which uh, I think is super exciting. Uh, I know a whole host of uh, Moto America riders are going to be entered it's also the opening round of the King of the Baggers, the Twins Cup, the Hooligans. So it's a full a full weekend of activity at Daytona, um, which is still obviously part of the bike week, which I've never been to. So that's going to be great. Um, so, yeah, Ethan, just one last time, just let the listeners know, how can they get in touch with you on Instagram? What's your uh, what's your Instagram? Absolutely. So that's going to be at Coach Chaplook. Um, so that's Coach, C-H-A-P-L-U-K. That's definitely the, the easiest way to get connected. Great. Excellent stuff. And uh, I promise that I will get back to you and subscribe. And uh, maybe we'll have to get you one at the end of the season and see whether you uh, were able to uh, to improve my dietary habits. Um, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not convinced. I mean, I'll, I'll listen to everything you've got to say, but I, I, it's, 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 a, it's a tough order, mate. If you take on the challenge, it's a tough one. Hey, that's, that's why we do it, right? We're always <laughs> seeking the next challenge. Good stuff. Ethan, thank you very much, mate. And uh, we'll catch, up, uh, catch up in Daytona. Yes, sir. A big thank you as ever to our guest this week, to Ed Best. We wish him well for the rest of the season and to Ethan Chaplock. And we'll catch up with him during the year to see whether or not he did manage to get his hands on Danilo Petrucci. Stay with us because in a couple of weeks' time, we'll be back with the next episode of the Vroom Podcast with two more exciting guests from the world of motorsport. Room, your weekly motorsport fix podcast is produced by Michael Hill. The music is by the Rain Dogs 
and it's a production of Michael Hill Promotions.